Yo, this is Sadu Gold, and you are tuned in to the Cabbages Hip Hop Podcast. Suarez. I'm a music journalist and critic, and I write a twice-weekly hip-hop newsletter called Cabbages, which you can subscribe to for free at cabbageshiphop.com. Joining me as always is my high-minded co-host, music industry insider Jeffrey Lachlan. It's still season three of the podcast, and we're still watching stoner comedies. And today, we'll be talking about Smiley Face, the 2007 movie that Entertainment Weekly called, quote, a stoner comedy with a purpose. Heavy, man. Now, we'll get into the show in just a minute, but please, if you're listening and you haven't done this already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And if you can rate the show five stars, that would be even better. And if you could do all that and write a review, well, you can come hang with me anytime. I mean, post-COVID. Actually, no. No, you can't. Well, thanks anyway. Had a real rough couple weeks. Care to talk about it? Uh, I don't. I don't know if we even have time to get into okay. all of it. All right, Basically, on. I got COVID. So sorry to hear that. At my lowest point, I was asked to participate in the watching of a film. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps you've seen the film. It's called Evil Bong. Yes, I believe I was the one who asked you to. As a matter of fact, you are both. You are my captor <laughs> in this fucking scenario. Wow. I, that was one of the worst pieces of art I've ever laid eyes upon. Yeah. Well, I mean, COVID is a really, uh, it's an intense, uh, it's an intense experience for a lot of people. So I, uh, I recognize that it definitely. No, 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 no. Enhances your experience. No, 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 no. Listen, this film was so bad that I wouldn't even give it. I wouldn't say that it was like a Skinamax movie. I'd say it was more like a Showtime late night titty flick. Now, what movie is this again? Evil Bong, the one you made me watch last week. Oh, yeah, right. Evil Bong. Stars, Evil uh, Bong with Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong, Evil Bong. That's right. Yeah. That was a putrid display mm. of the thing that we've been studying for the past, I don't know how long now, a couple months or so? Yeah, a few months, yeah. <laughs> a few months of like sitting around watching this. This one, it rivals Bong Water, people. That's and This a, is this wow. is the thing. So you... You guys get this this painted picture of Gary paints me being kind of a lummox and an oaf. You know, I feel like he edits out all the things that I do that are really cool. Oh, yeah. It's so all it just makes editing. me feel like an idiot. It's all in the idiot. editing. Oh, it's yeah. all editing. They yeah, all yeah. know it's it's the yeah. magic of editing. Sure. That makes me look like an idiot. Look You're like. doing this on purpose. Look like. But I am neither a lummox nor an oaf, sir. And you valuably wasted my time in the same way that I've done to you. And I proclaim us even, sir. What didn't you like about Evil Bong? Everything. Everything. The positioning of the cameras. Name a thing that a movie can be about. Humor? 
jokeless. What about the uh, the bomb itself? It was itself? a hookless set of claptrap nonsense. Hmm. Hookless. Well, they made eight of them. Oh, I'm aware. Uh, including a crossover with the uh, with the ginger dead man. Would you watch? Are you gonna watch the second one? Are we gonna watch? Be real. Don't take off. Take off the the podcast persona. Take it off. Shed that weight, Gary. Persona. Are you gonna watch? Jeff, are you asking me to watch Evil Bong Two? No, Bong with I'm you? never watching. Because if you're asking, I mean, like you're, you've been, you've been dealing with COVID, I'm more than happy to to watch this. Now, if if it makes you feel better, I'll watch all eight with you. We could do a whole season. I'm not doing that. This is the what the worst part. This is my Trimmers, but Trimmers is like a hundred thousand times better than this. All of the Trimmers movies are better than any one of the Evil Bongs. Can I ask you a question? No. No, you lost question privileges until we get the guests. I'm sorry that I tried to do something nice for my friend while he was sick, but I I, uh, I, I kind of told a little white lie in the midst of all this. Oh, no. So I actually, we have two great guests coming up. We were going to watch the movie Smiley Face, and that's what I told you, the Gregor Rocky movie. But I actually asked her guests to watch Evil Bung. I can't wait to slam this movie for an hour. And we're going to go talk about it now. I can't wait. excited to introduce our guest for today's show. Joining us now is Saru Gold. The Philadelphia artist is one of the best producers operating in hip-hop today, in my opinion. You've heard his work on albums by Westside Gun and Wiki, as well as his own projects, including The Gold Room and Not Safe for Whites. You can find much of his music on Bandcamp and wherever music is streamed or sold. Also joining us today is Lorena Cupcake. The Chicago-based writer's work has previously appeared in publications including The Fader, Bandcamp Daily, and Fact Magazine. They also write the cannabis advice column, Ask a Bud Tender running monthly at Weed Maps News. You can also follow them on Instagram at AskABudTender. Hello, and welcome to you both. Yo, yo, what's going on? Hey, happy to be here. We are so excited to be talking about the movie Evil Bong, uh, which uh, a horror comedy that uh, we've been waiting to discuss for a long time. And uh, I told Jeff that we were going to watch this really terrible movie and talk about it. Uh, but actually, we're talking about Smiley Face, which is a superior You lied movie. to me. You lied to me. You lied directly to me. I did. But I still made you watch Evil Bong. I still made you watch Evil Bong. To add a level good. of pain to having had to watch Evil Bong. It's the new Rick Roll. Let's go. <laughs> now that we've gotten that little business out of the way, and uh, I've had my fun, let's talk a bit about stoner comedies of just the genre itself. Are you fans of stoner comedies? Is it something that you seek out or that you particularly like watching? I specifically developed the interest in marijuana because of the movie Half Baked. Mm. So I am the, I am, I am the kid that, that Dave Chappelle said it was a kid's movie. I'm the kid that watched that movie. Okay. <laughs> that was literally the one that, um, that I was going to mention as well. I think Comedy Central used to play it like, three or four hours a day for a certain period. Uh, <laughs> and I definitely, yeah, definitely a, a, an hour a day watching, you know, I was probably sitting there. So uh, very formative. I don't have, I'm not as well versed as y'all are in all these um, obscure ones. So I'm kind of excited to delve in here. 
Yeah, for sure. I need to know more. And Smiley Face is a film that I'd seen before, but uh, Jeff had it, which was sort of when we were figuring out which movies we wanted to talk about this season. Most stoner comedies are very much male-centered and male gaze. Typically, it's just like, this is what like guys' experiences are. And it was already of interest that you were dealing with a female lead in a stoner comedy, which so rarely happens. But then it was also a Greg Araki film. And uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Greg Araki uh, is a really great director, a big name in new queer cinema in the 90s. He did a lot of amazing films, uh, amazing indie films, kind of cult classics, uh, and also some real critically acclaimed stuff. So The Doom Generation, Mysterious Skin, Nowhere, so many great projects. While this was his ninth feature film, it was his first that he did not write the screenplay or the story himself for. He was drawn specifically to this script, which written by a, a screenwriter, Dylan Haggerty. And it, to date, it remains the only movie he's directed that he did not write the screenplay or story for. Huh. That's actually interesting. You may find that this is a change, if you've seen any of these other films of his, this is a bit of a change from the topics that he usually deals with. He doesn't do stoner comedies, but I think there is an, an artfulness to the way this film is written and the way this mm -hmm. is put together that you get, it does fit within his overall filmography quite well, um, even though it is very much presented as a stoner comedy. It's got his absurdist, um, surreal hallmarks all over it. And I, I really feel the surrealism of, you know, that it, he brings to it, that kind of replicates her stoned experience is, is uh, part of the defining parts of the film. Yeah, it was definitely like a, a real, it was like a kind bud fever dream, like, you know, like some stale Arizona regs. It just takes you on a journey. You know, the main premise here is that a stoner accidentally eats a tray of weed cupcakes that they didn't realize had weed in them and starts them off on a day full of uh, calamity and comedy. Now, I've had a very distinct experience uh, in college where I ate a pretty, uh, pretty intense batch of uh, weed brownies that I had not realized what was in it and how particularly strong it was. And it pretty much ruined me for the next 24 hours, not to the same extent that, uh, that it did uh, Anna Faris's Jane F in this movie. Our hero. <laughs> but our, our hero. But I sort of could believe that you could be fucked up for a really long time based on something you ate. Nah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely, uh, I was making weed brownies and uh, I was pretty much doing it the same way, just kind of dumping the weed in the batter. Like it was like probably like a half ounce, which is just ridiculous. And while making them, I ate like six of them. Just, you know. Just... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. never like, oh, I had a little nibble. <laughs> no, I just I wanted them to micro. Like, Ooh, another one. Like, oh, these are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, that, that actually resulted in, um, I was so high that um, my ex sent me a, a video of some penguins on Instagram. And I started crying. Like, I just burst out and just tears. <laughs> Like it was insane. I had kicked everybody out of my room and they had to go. And then I went to the club. <laughs> I, went to, I went to the club to try to sell these fucking weed brownies. <laughs> and like, I'm saying, like, I'm like nodding off, like I'm on fucking heroin and people are like trying to buy brownies off me. And it was just an awful night. But it was a great experience. Now, have you been able to watch Happy Feet since? 
Uh, you know what, man? Fuck you. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, but I'm gonna relate because I'm gonna say this right now. After that experience, I could not eat brownies for the next ten years. Yo, so there was like an episode of Family Guy, and Peter randomly said penguin, and it just kind of all came rushing back to me. Mm. <laughs> I went to, I went to a party uh, once, a uh, coworker's party. This is before I really messed with a lot of weed. And there was two plates brownies. One was clean and one was dirty. I don't really understand what that meant, apparently, because I just <laughs> ate from the dirty pile. Like a lot. Because you're and a dirty were, boy. I'm dirty. I got real dirty real quick. Uh, and then I was like, man, I got to get out of here like right now. Right now. I cannot be here anymore. Man. So I run out to my car. And Irish then, Yeah. I start driving toward... Uh, where my girlfriend was house sitting and I was using GPS. And the next thing I know, I was on a dirt road in a forest and I had no idea where I was going. I was like, where is this thing taking me? And I called her and she was like, uh, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, dude. You need to just figure this shit out. That actually and sounds like the beginning of a good stoner horror movie. Totally. I, I thought exactly that. I was like, oh man, this is where I die. Like I'm hunted down and killed and it's hilarious for everybody. And this is going to be great. Uh, but instead I ended up finding the place after a long time and watching um, what's the zombie movie that I never watched again, or the, the zombie show on TV that Walking I never watched dead? again. After this. Yeah. She was watching walking dead. Fucking pie I went completely insane. and was like, never, I'm never watching this fucking show again. And I never did. <laughs> He likes a Mr. Rogers or something. That was exactly the wrong vibe. Right? And I know she did that shit on purpose, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Now, uh, now, Cupcake, I should point out that uh, you are a uh, professional bud tender. And so I'm sure people come to you with lots of questions about how they might use their weed in, uh, in an edible context not as edibles but how do they cook it and bake with it is there any advice to av avoid these horror situations that we've all just described <laughs> Don't eat all how can books. how can we teach people a better way to do this safely actually, yeah. so there's math um that you can figure out you know how much <laughs> cannabis you need to put in your butter you know figure out where the dosage is going to be and i definitely recommend sitting down with a you know a piece of piece of paper and a pencil and trying to kind of figure out what your dosage is going to be because uh i think a lot of us now that we have access to dispensaries you know how 20 milligrams affects you and so you know if you know that brownie's got 200 milligrams you might take, take a little bit slower in the future kids are going to look back on our era of using weed like we were total dinosaurs you think so i feel like they're going to look at us like we were fucking alchemists well, it'll be both, but it'll be like, the, you know, it'll be stone age level shit where they're like, man, that must have been insane. You didn't even know how much you had. Like, I mean, I mean, I guess I could never tell you how much I had, especially because I wasn't like starting. Yeah, they'll be alchemists. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, obviously that person used a lot of this in their weed, but like, I have no idea. I can't believe they were drinking tinctures. <laughs> <laughs> New isn't always better, though. Like, give me an old school stoner curl in the perfect blunt over, yeah, you know, a weed exactly. pen or vape pen any day. I mean, all day. Oh, yeah. All day. Yeah. What? With the right the people. Blunt, it's a ritual, you know? I am, I'm a bong guy. An and evil bong guy? 
No, no, we're not doing this, Gary. We're not doing this. You know, when people in the uh, in the future do look back on us, I pray that they don't look uh, for guidance from the movie Smiley Face, because the scene where she is trying to uh, make new new cupcakes after um, eating the entire tray of her roommates' uh, weed cupcakes is about as disastrous as can be, and truly sad to watch as somebody who does enjoy the drug known as marijuana, uh, watching how much of it gets wasted in that scene alone. Uh, as the drug known as marijuana. <laughs> drug known you as mean, marijuana. You mean the big uh, pile of parsley that they were using? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I was, that was a very stressful scene to watch. I, I, I liked Anna Ferris, so it was nice to know that she, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise to see her flush weed down the toilet. Oh, oh, they get rid oh, of so part. much weed. She gets rid of so much weed in this movie. It's upsetting. Because during the pandemic, there have been times where just like, man, I need weed and I don't right. have it. And here she is just flushing it down the toilet because Jane Lynch scared her. That also will be some Stone Age shit where like, you just, you had to call a guy and like <laughs> wait around and stuff. Wild. Um, did anybody else get mad at this character? I was mad. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Like, really, really up. like, no, no. Like, I was really invested. I'll get into what I thought of the whole movie in a minute. But, like, I was very invested in how insane this person was. I feel like you have to practice a Zen detachment just knowing that she's going to fuck up at every step. So you I didn't can know. enjoy the ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's going to be like a little adventure where she sells weed to people and it's a little weird and cops will probably be, nope, the weed's gone in like 25 seconds. Oh, I was like, it's all that? gone. <laughs> what kind of art house bullshit is this? And like, I, it was a very stressful film because I have been that broke a lot in my life to where you're like, I just made a, like a $70 problem. Well, it's going to be a $70 problem plus a lot of other problems because I, I don't have $70. <laughs> I don't have it. This is basically the uncut gems of stoner comedies. God damn. Oh, well put. Yeah. God you feel the stress throughout the movie. And while I'm not going to jump ahead too far because there's so much to discuss in there, one thing that comes out of it is like with uncut gems, there are consequences to actions. And we'll talk a bit about that and whether or not they're proportionate. But the key thing is that you are watching this and as somebody who has experienced being broke has experienced not having weed has experienced related issues of trying to solve a small problem that gets bigger and bigger oh man like it's very relatable in that respect it nailed the feeling of like both being broke and wanting to take action against it and it just not working out like oh man but it also nailed the feeling of not letting these things well, actually, no, I was going to say not let him stress you out, but she totally freaked out a few times. But well, that's where the, like, of the eating six, hand. eating mm. a, a half a dozen cupcakes full of weed yeah, came in. Like, <laughs> the decisions that, that were made were just so awful and stupid. Right. Uh, I, I, I did could, appreciate uh, when they were showing the flashbacks as to the reason why uh, the, the guy had the crush on her. It, it basically, it, it was showing that this is not out of the ordinary. She's pretty much ripping the bong and acting like a dumbass all day, every day. Bro, mm-hmm. that song that they were playing during that, that montage was incredible. I might have to see what I like. <laughs> that was easily my favorite part of this film. Like, I, I couldn't believe it was real. I'm like, did Matt Stone and Trey Parker make this song? <laughs> and that it's like, he's a non-stoner 
and it's still like i don't know there's just something about her you know what i mean like oh yeah john krasinski's uh weird romanticizing sort of vaseline vision of yes. jane f <laughs> is just like it's just so creepy and there's a lot of creepiness in this film but they're just so creepy it's like when they do that montage of kind of him of his vision of how he sees her and how he perceives oh. her and it's just like you might as well have been playing fucking like Dreamweaver like behind that <laughs> like it, like real it Wayne's almost world like kind a, of joke a real world Wayne's world joke <laughs> like this is actually what like people fall in love with yeah and not Tia Carrera yeah exactly you're not falling in love with Tia Carrera or um or, or anywhere near you're never going or to Kim be Basinger here. like no it's like this yeah. is like uh, wearing like hanging around the house the, clothes where she's just passed out with like we just sitting on her her chest like near her clenched hand and she's just passed out on the couch i mean like i too was completely smitten yeah <laughs> but the I thing was, is, i was like that's that's it that's what, the thing is like there's nothing wrong with that the issue with it is just how he perceives her <laughs> he is like, like if that's who you're attracted. If if you're if you find that attractive, that's cool. Like no judgment. If that's how you, and if that's how you oh, want to totally. be in your own home. Be that way in your own home. The issue I see is just sort of like he's just ogling her. She's oddly sexualized twice in this film. It's like when people get cat called on the street. Yeah. When they're like, and they're like, I'm wearing, I have no makeup on. I'm wearing my sweatpants. Why am I being cat called? You see those tweets all the time, and it happens to people all the fucking time. And you're just like. They're like baffled why they can't be left alone. And this guy, the only thing that's keeping him from actually actively being horrible to her is that he is such a weird incel. And also her roommate <laughs> is like his friend or whatever. Right. He has some right. sort of like some some sort of social barrier stopping him. Yeah, mm-hmm. weird, weird code. <laughs> They're weird comic con. Speaking faces. of weird, are, are we gonna talk about the the elephant on the room of regarding the roommate? Danny Masterson, yo, Scientologist, yeah. rapist, Scientologist, yo, yeah, it's in I'll my, it's in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we we discussed it ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. we have to. Hit it. There was so much great casting in this. That was the one, uh, the one difficult one. At the time, I don't. When, when did this come out again? This 2007. So this is before, this is like 70s show, like where he plays yeah, a we character named like, Steve. Like th- th- this is the thing, because we now know what right. kind of monster he is. And he's the serial rapist that he's just a terrible human being. To see him play this character back in the 70s show days, which is when I first saw this, was like, okay, it's a bit, it's a character. Now I'm just like, no, that's Danny Masterson. Hmm. Danny Masterson. He is I think, a skull actually, fucker. He's a skull <laughs> fucker. Exactly. <laughs> we discussed that. And it, it's when you first catch dude, you're like, oh no. Hmm. And then they like portray him in her mind <laughs> and you're like, oh, cool. Oh, you guys knew. All right, yeah. <laughs> like somebody knew. They were like, oh, we got to fuck with this nah, guy. Chris Delia and shit. All the, all the fucking child predators he played on TV. Oh, God. You know, it's like there, there's the like truth and comedy sort of thing that goes on there. I am quite surprised, you know, as we go back and watch these movies and, you know, Jeff and I have watched a lot of these stoner comedies, we find our issues with them, looking at them with the information we have in 2021. Sometimes it's issues of homophobia, stereotypes and racism. And in other cases, it's like, oh, here's an actor that was okay back then, or we thought they were okay back then. And now, oh no, they're actually the worst. 
and it makes it hard. Like we watched, uh, we watched one of the worst movies we saw this season was uh, Your Highness, and James Franco's in it. And it was very hard to go back now and watch James Franco, knowing what we know about James Franco. So it was also hard to watch James Franco because he was fucking terrible. He was not good in that movie. That whole movie was bad. But there were a lot of really like great people, impressive number of like now recognizable comedians and comic actors in this in this film. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had Brian Posehn driving the bus. Brian Posehn, that's the uh, guy. Michael Hitchcock as the laundry room man. That was great. And then you had Jim Rash. Was Danny McBride in that? In he was in Your Highness, yeah. Yeah, okay, I thought so. Yeah, he's he was terrible in that. I mean, that movie was just awful. <laughs> it's so bad. So in this, you got Jim Rash as a casting assistant. That's before Community. So this is before like he was like really known. And there's also you have Jane Lynch, and uh, in the the waiting room is Jane Mays. And this is them both pre Glee. So it's like it's this weird thing to kind of go back to the uh, most of these. Uh, actors had this is, this huge is careers after this. Yeah. This is a, a huge theme with stoner movies that we've been watching. These like sort of lower budget and and forgotten sort of B sides, mm-hmm. if you will, to the stoner comedy world. All of them seem to have an embarrassment of riches as far as casting, hmm. because there was a ton of people. And I, this is a theory. I don't know if it's real. There were a ton of people that didn't want to do drug movies because it would start you on a, a path of just doing drug work. If you were good at it, they would just cast you in more pot movies. And there are, there are, there are some like writing issues and annoying stuff that comes with like taking a role like this. Yeah, Especially I mean, back then when it was like way more criminalized. I wonder if that's true or not as all, because like there's always a crazy amount of good comics in the background of these things. I think um, disproving that, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not a concern, but uh, I think it's mm. interesting that John Cho was in Harold and Kumar 2004. Mm-hmm. This yep. came out a couple of years later. He wasn't afraid to, I mean, it made sense like, hey, let's get a very recognizable face from a really famous stoner movie, toss him in this movie in a little cameo. He's so great, by the way, in my, uh, in my notes, it just says in all caps, John Cho is so hot. But um, <laughs> I mean, now he's a leading, he's a leading man. And, you know, it's, it's extra impressive because unfortunately there's not a lot of Asian leading men in Hollywood. So to have him uh, be able to kind of like break through that glass ceiling and uh, to, to make it up uh, to, you know, the higher echelons of Hollywood, it's been really awesome, especially as a big Harold and Kumar fan. I should have mentioned that earlier. Very formative stoner movie for me. Underrated. (laughs) I was literally just talking about those today with my girlfriend. We did that one as well. Oh, yo, shout out John Cho for landing fucking Cowboy Bebop. I'm excited. Right, exactly. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's super fucking cool. That, nice. is cool. that is dope. I really enjoyed seeing him in this movie for a number of reasons. One, obviously, the subtle nod to Harold and Kumar. And this is a year or so before <clears throat> uh, the second Harold and Kumar movie comes out, before uh, Escape from Guantanamo Bay. This so, was basically like, boom, 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 like right in a row for her. The way he's used in this movie is really fascinating because again as cupcake says uh you know john cho is so hot is the note on the on the page <laughs> and like it actually is like the the only time we see jane f in any uh sexual capacity or showing any kind of sexuality is with john cho forget all these weirdos and and, and dealers and skull fuckers in my midst it's like if i'm gonna have a daydream fantasy that involves this it's going to be with 
John Cho. Oh, I took that as John Cho's fantasy. I think that was a a brief uh, switch to his perspective. Being high while watching movies, you sometimes lose some perspective, (laughs) which is fair. So it it was a question that I had in my notes was, whose fantasy was that? Was that her daydream? Was that his? I'm getting the impression it was his daydream. It was his, and it, like, what I enjoyed the most about it is that, like, he was specifically trying to shake it off. Right. He was like, no, no, this is bad. But like kind of couldn't help himself, which like both of these dudes are just like, this isn't the right thing to do, but they're like, both can't get enough. It was also like the nice dude fantasy. Right. It's like John Cho's hot and if Ferris is hot, what are we doing here? Right. (laughs) Uh, When it felt like it was a real thing, I was very upset. I was like, oh, don't ruin this. (laughs) I've been having a good time. Don't do this. Don't do this. And when it was a dream, I was like, okay. 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 We're good. I was like really mad that they were going to ruin the film, which is weird because as invested as I was, I really didn't even really love this film all that much. We're not asking for your opinion, Josette, which is. uh, I'm going to ask for opinions soon. It's definitely not the best fake out moment in the film because the speech that she gives in the meatpacking plant. Mm. The, the the speech for the workers that she doles out the setup is for extraordinary that is yeah. just incredible i would join her union in a second <laughs> in a second i was totally wowed i was like checking like yep wow she covered that as well <laughs> it was pretty awesome it felt very modern it felt more it felt very of now even though this is like we're talking like 14 years ago at this point. This film had a, a wild anarchist like, streak to it. It was kind of given like Always Sunny, the uh, prom, or what is it? The uh, uh, high school oh, the reunion. episode. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Yes. An incredible pair of, of episodes of television. But the, I think, again, the, the, the way the joke is revealed in this is just so extraordinary to me because then it's like suddenly there's Roscoe Lee Brown and he says, here's what Jane really said. Oh. It's just nonsense and gibberish and wall-breaking funny. This was Roscoe Lee Brown's last film. Was this actually, I knew it was one this of us. This was actually his last. Oh. This was the last film Roscoe did. And it makes me a little sad. I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to the humans of the world who, who don't know who Roscoe Lee Brown is. Get familiar. His career was incredible and he's a pretty incredible human from all I've from all I have to kind of invoke something for Jeff. I'm sorry for for our guests for a moment. What we talked about when we did the first episode of this season, we talked about how stoner comedies allow us to suspend disbelief. There's enough absurd shit that happened in Grow House that felt implausible. Grow House was the first movie we watched this season. And and it was just like, if you're going to operate in the real world, then you shouldn't be watching stoner comedies. But this was the most realistic film to me that we've seen. There's not a lot of exaggeration of like what might happen if somebody's off the wall like that and gets into this kind of jam. It's still pretty wacky. Though. Am I crazy? It, of course, they're all wacky. But I think it, it takes place in the real world, but it really right. takes the each each situation to absurdist heights. You know, no aliens show up, but um, re- things really just get as messed up as they possibly can. And, and there's just so many absurdist elements from 
the, totally. the, the first printing of the communist manifesto it's so that there's this weird anarchist streak in the film that i want to come back to but also this to me was like the secret life of j walter mitty with like a stoner character would you yeah. get like yeah outlandish oh versions of like you get alternate reality takes of what could happen and then you're brought back to this real world of like well this person's not really controlling their faculties so really what happened was this this movie is largely about subversion mm -hmm. i can understand maybe being upset because it is actually being provocative it is provocation in a lot of places. Like they literally spread communist doctrine to the masses. Yeah, it comes down off the Ferris wheel. Waiting to talk about that. It it was not the most like beautifully filmed thing. You know what I mean? It was a little ridiculous, but the idea there was pretty incredible. It's just, it's just crazy to me that this this film had like multiple MacGuffins. That being one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Like you, I'm used to one, you know, just one solid MacGuffin. Nope. That, and I feel like that's kind of a part of the subversion of tropes. It's like, oh, let's not give him one MacGuffin. Let's give him like five. And then also, I think another nuance that kind of helped with that subversion is just like the nonlinear thinking of a pothead. Like, I feel like the way the movie flowed totally followed. Yes. Like the way, like, you know, a thread of thoughts would just break and then something else will just start. It was just, it, I was totally there. Do you mean like when uh, Jane is sitting at uh, Professor Hardman's house uh, waiting for uh, his wife to come bring and she looks at a picture of corn and her yes. mind takes her to President Garfield's lasagna? Bro, that entire bit was so realistic. You know Fantastic. what I'm saying? Like I would have a picture of President Garfield on my mantle for that exact reason. That was so much more realistic than, and I love Harold and Kumar, but you know, they have these fantasy sequences where they're dancing around with a giant bag of weed and things like that. And a lot of times oh, that's yeah. how cannabis use is portrayed in these um, stoner movies. And in, in reality, it's just, it's more like this movie where people are looking at you thinking, what's wrong with that person? Right. You're feeling they're not like, like oh, this person's definitely on weed. They're like, what are you doing? Why like, are you doing this? Like Every time I ever saw somebody get high and film, it always seemed like they were on mushrooms or acid instead. I hear you. Like the shit that they would see was just like, come on, I've never seen that smoking a blunt. Stop playing. One hundred percent. There's there's this movie I saw. I was I was unemployed, so I went to the local theater and I saw Hall Pass, and it was oh, just an awful, awful film. Ice Cube and Charlie Day. No, 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 no. That's another. That's another. That's one. teacher fight or something. Yeah, no, uh, it was. Hall Pass was a, a bunch of white dudes who were tired of their wives, and it was a really awful film. And they had was that Fairly Brothers? Late, late Fairly Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. And they had a scene where the dudes smoked weed, and they were like running around a golf course and acting like the Three Stooges and like making sand angels. And I was like, dude, no way. They'd just be asleep, or just like quietly golfing. <laughs> this is really, really bad. And it's that sort of goofy, crazy shit. And this movie didn't yeah. have hardly any, like the goofy, crazy shit was, you know, other people's reactions. Yeah, the goofy, crazy shit was like Adam Brody with dreadlocks. I, 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 <laughs> again, you walk into these films, you have to suspend disbelief. But like that early on, I'm like, wait, am I, I don't know if I'm okay. I don't know if I can believe that this ridiculous. There was a lot of stress in the in the old lady scene where she's sitting inside the professor's house. Going back to subversion, 
the professor's wife, right. if anybody recognized her, is Marion Ross, right, that's the right. mom from Happy Days. I was going to ask because I knew that was not just like... That is a genius Gregoraki choice. So representing... It was you know, an incredible scene. Wholesome American values. Oh, the homemaker, the housewife trope. Like she played that on TV. She was Tom Buzz's so wife on television. And like just completely trusting of this like And handed stranger. over the first, What was it again? The first edition of the Communist Manifesto? It was like the first edition of the Communist <laughs> Manifesto. Like they hand wrote it yeah. or something. Because she thought she was a TA. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't expect that to be inside the inside the dossier. Uh, <laughs> even though I was set up for it, you know, like I was totally set up for that joke. I did not see that shit coming. And she doesn't seem to have a very uh, positive opinion about communism to begin with. She seemed to think that yeah, she's communists on it. as people were gross. <laughs> like, ew, he's a communist. It was sort of like a, a moment in there. When when creepy John Krasinski was like asking if she'd had hooked up with her professor, read her former professor, like it's just so uh, John Krasinski. Look, I don't like John Krasinski to begin with. Hey, look, that's the internet's Reed Richards you're talking about. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> they really want that to be a thing, don't they? God, they really want him in the Fantastic Four. I don't understand. Just him looking at the camera the whole time. <laughs> Wait, okay. Did you did you enjoy his performance here? I did not. Did anybody enjoy uh, nah, it? It was definitely super dry. Like it was kind of like he kind of looked like uh, the forty-year-old virgin, and then I just started wondering, like, what came from? Because mm. he had all the toys. I don't know. It was, yeah, it was just kind of like just a dry trope of a character. I yes. feel like if they had uh, gotten a sufficiently nerdy character actor, he probably would have had the star power sufficient to fill that lead role for a studio. So I'm with that. It's possible. I mean, like, it's possible this person was wowed by his acting ability, but it was, it might have just been a wooden character, but that was a wooden time for me. Yeah. For somebody who has that much screen time, even if they're playing the type of character they're playing, I, you just want more from that. But, you know, maybe there was something, maybe Gregoraki saw something in him. He, um, who knows? And, but and it's, who knows? I did not enjoy myself with him on screen. He's really playing like the librarian character with like mm. the thick glasses and the ponytail. Like he's this very symmetrical, tall, you know, Amateur uh, conventionally historian. attractive white man with like a bad haircut and glasses on. <laughs> the worst haircut. It's <laughs> a very haircut. bad haircut to yeah. be fair. Like really bad. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like it's 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 just uh, it's a trash situation. Like I mean, I think any of us would cast a variety of other people so much better. And I, I can't stress enough that like this is also like while the office is happening, right? So like it's not as if like we're dealing with an unknown. Like so many of these other actors in this film were still not quite like this is Anna Faris before House Bunny, which is a real breakout role in a big way for her. You know, and obviously before she became like she's on TV forever, but like it's Jane Lynch before uh, before Glee, like you've got people who went on and did big things after this. Uh, But I have a question. Do you think that when she's not high as fuck, is Jane a good actor? Mm, I'm going to go ahead and say probably average actor Mm. like probably someone who could be in commercials probably make a career off of commercials well i would have liked to see her regional soda ad for uh (laughs) dr bjorn's famous old-fashioned root beer didn't she get a lifetime supply 
I mean, she had a whole fridge full of it. <laughs> uh, I love fake product placement. That was sick. It really seems like the the actress lifestyle was chosen so that because it's the kind of lifestyle where you could potentially sleep until three p.m. smoking weed every day. Uh, kind of like leave it, yeah, leave her day open ended. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it on its head here. I'm gonna say yes. You uh, think you think you think she was actually a good if, actress behind it all? If this Thank character you. were initiated, <laughs> you know what I mean, like. She's really uninitiated. She just doesn't like want to do stuff. But mm. I saw a lot of potential in the performance where she was like trying to go all in and be weird with this thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She I love thinking about that. Violently misread it, <laughs> obviously. But I think, yeah, if if you know, if she put her mind to it, if she can wrap her head around like the concepts that her brain was wrapping around, I think, yeah, I think she'd be a good actor. I, I mean, she, she was trying. I mean, even as yeah. high as she was, she was trying to, like, come up with different reads, different takes on how uh, she might deliver the line. Um, yeah, if you're not doing that while under a lot of stress and having screwed up everything. But, of, of course, at the same time, her agent, he seemed pretty much at his wit's end with her as, his, as her agent. Seemed like pretty much that, like, so I think it is perhaps an issue, wherever you fall on this, is an issue of motivation. He tried to tell you what? <laughs> that was just a painful scene yeah. oh my god i can't believe i didn't see it coming too like that movie really fucked with my head bro because a lot of that shit i did not see coming but a lot of that shit i did see coming right okay. like, how are y'all doing this to me like <laughs> from that office to the bathroom and what I knew was going to happen at that point, I was like, please don't do this. Please don't freak out and think and, and like cut this bag open and, and dump this killer weed into the this parsley into the toilet. Exactly One thing I want to say, uh, the <laughs> famed medical weed, possibly, you know, uh, famed from high uh, half baked and, you yeah, know, other yeah. oh, yeah. stoner lore. In reality, the government weed that they do scientific testing on, that like the federal government says, yes, this is what you can test, they've actually run into issues because that weed is so bad that it no That's longer good. resembles the weed people are actually smoking. So oh. they're running all these st scientific studies like this is the health benefits of smoking this like 6% THC swag. And it's like, well, that's not really relevant because no one is smoking that. Huh. This is why we need to have an expert on the show like you. But I think she still could have sold it. Not to Jane Lynch. I yeah. love LAPD, Jane Lynch. <laughs> I think she could have sold it because if she had got Great. to the hemp festival on time, <laughs> the which plan that's where I get, actually, that's what really drives me crazy is like, why are you trying to sell this weed before the hemp festival? The hemp festival, <laughs> it's a fucking hemp festival. Somebody is going to buy your medical weed there. Nothing about the plan that Jane made. And she made a plan. Was bad. Not one bit of it was really all that bad. It's just that it wasn't foolproof. And she was a fool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, I watched that scene intently when she made the plan. I was like, it was like a checklist of like dumb stoner shit where you are so sure of yourself mm. and you're destined to fail. And it was incredible to watch it fall apart. That plan was great. <laughs> I like when she made plan. the revised plan. 
Yes. Yes. It's like okay. <laughs> and it's kind of similar back. to the the, the union uh, communist speech where you know you <laughs> she she you, and you see how she views it and she's doing this amazing job and then it shows you the reality where it's just these stone scrawlings that make absolutely no sense. Then, it's then very it's relatable. entirely destroyed. Everything Yo, is we, going poorly. Can we shout out my man who had the the Great Dane? Yes. <laughs> oh wow! Yes, that scene was everything for me because I actually know a dude with a Great Dane named Hercules, so that really resonated with me deeply. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that stoner paranoia. Like it doesn't matter if the dog notices you, but she's just right. like she's hiding from the dog. <laughs> <laughs> the dog's like, what does he say? He's like, oh, you done fucked up now. <laughs> it's amazing. It's truly amazing. The, the, and see, I feel like there's just so many moments like that that just make this film enjoyable. I really like this film. I liked it when I watched it in 2007. I, or 2008, probably when it came out on DVD. I get on Netflix DVD. I enjoy uh, most of this film. I enjoy that. But I think the part of this film that I liked personally the most, and I, I, I hope others feel a uh, similar affection towards it, is uh, when she realizes why she has no money in her bank account (laughs) because she bought the world's most comfortable bed (laughs) now who among us who smokes doesn't appreciate a comfy bed i'm in bed right now there we go the one inheritance i've ever i've ever gotten was around 2500 bucks and i immediately bought an incredible mattress and just smoke weed and watch basketball to grieve. It's I've, I've actually lived this life where I was like, I'm buying a banging mattress. It's happening. And it's still with me, and it's a great mattress. Amazing. I love that part of this. I'm wondering, are there uh, other things that any of us have uh, purchased uh, while uh, under the influence uh, at some point uh, as an extravagance, or are we uh, are we too cautious to uh, to spend our money uh, during these times uh, nah dude I bought a fucking 3D printer like when I found out about all of this <laughs> unemployment and all of this like pandemic money people were getting cause like I was just like doing gig work and like you know what I'm saying like I was still getting work cause I sell beats and stuff Yeah, I found out about that shit I was like oh what and then, and then I, I signed up for it and I waited for weeks and then one day like $8,000 hit my account and I was mm. like shit so i like bought a fucking macbook i bought a 3d printer i went fucking crazy bro and i was high as shit through all of it and then when it all came i was looking at my account like fuck (laughs) 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 like i was supposed to buy groceries and pay rent and bills and you're like i got all this cool stuff and like yeah and you can write you can write some of that stuff off and be like that's a business expense right like Very that's true. justified like, like i need that laptop i'm producing i'm doing these things but at the end of the day you're still like wait i gotta eat yeah oh, shit and i eat this 3d printer or this resin i cannot i cannot 3d print a sandwich it's not gonna be good it's <laughs> not, not gonna be good not yet i don't know i don't think <laughs> i don't think yeah we'll get there the world we will get there i i don't think i think mostly I, I find purchasing things well I uh, complicated and exhausting. Uh, uh-huh. If I have to pull out a credit card, I, it's already too much. Yo, know, shout out Apple Pay. 
You know, that's really what's going to help. Mm. It's absolutely right. Because I like, I look at like a DoorDash order and I'm like, oh yeah, I could really go for like some McDonald's or Taco Bell right now. And then it's just like, what, I got to like go downstairs and like <laughs> get the food? Got to get the Jetsons. Oh man, Jetsons. I need like, I need like the dumb waiter from Webster. Uh, I need like, just like, that's <laughs> real old New York. Real old New York. fully ready to exist in the Wally universe. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm actually okay with that. I uh, I have a bad habit of buying. If if you can mail order a snack, I've probably bought it high at some point. I've got some baklava in my in my cabinet right now. Ooh, some pistachio work. rose baklava that uh, Maha's Bakehouse ship ship me. No, not an ad. Just shouting out the most delicious pistachio rose baklava. Definitely a high purchase. No, that's awesome because I like baklava. Let's go. That's pistachio. easily the most, uh, like, that's that's definitely something you can use. That's practical. Which is a big deal. That's practical. It makes you feel good. You can't 3D print me baklava. Yeah. I, I have a band camp issue where. Band camp issue? Yeah, yeah, where I, like. Like a good problem to have. I, like, arrive to my house and there's, like, a really weird, like, jazz record. Almost, like, full. Oh, that's music. a great problem to have. And I'd come in, i listen to it, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm what how this got to me uh other than I know I was probably really really high on Bandcamp and was like this is it this is next level man this is it I have just like a stack of them I'm never gonna listen to and I love them I'm never gonna scenes are opposite men you know there's very few scenes where it's just women on screen but we she doesn't really have any close relationships though like when you uh no. when you go through her when she's going through her phone book she does have female friends but they're not close like she's really it's kind of she's one of the guys but one of the guys not in that she's you know she's hanging out with the guys all day but more one of the guys in that she doesn't have great social skills and she's just like smoking weed in her underwear all the time because she doesn't really have anybody she can really reach out to and get help from she ends up reaching out to literally the worst possible person she could reach out to this was really telling that like a lot of these friends were because she like owed them money or was yeah. just sort of like in the tank with a lot of people because she had no ambition that's like a really real thing i loved that that mm. note in there of like I would call these people and we could hang, but I also owe them $500. Yeah. It's like, that I don't I, obviously don't have, we have like full access to this person's bank account. I'm sure if, if we all right now got a phone call from a certain person who has existed or exists in our lives, we wouldn't pick up uh, because totally. they owe us something or we know they're going to ask us for something if they're calling. Mm -hmm. So that felt really relatable too. But also she was like in control enough. Like a lot of times with movies and drugs, they're like every everyone who does drugs goes out of control. She was you know like a scam likely personified. Totally. And I knew it and was like, well, I can't call them. They're off the list until I can get them some money. <laughs> I'm not I'm not bothering them. That's so real. And you know, even with that, even with her being like the personification of scam likely, it's like she gets off pretty easy in this film. Well, there are consequences, you know, she is arrested, uh, but in the end, she's 
sentenced to community service. I mean, 1500 hours, which isn't nothing, but like she's sentenced to community service. Run by the that. dude from Cobra Kai, <laughs> which was like the crate. I had kind of lost it at that point. I was like, Billy Zabka is in this film for like 30 seconds. You got really excited about that. I was very excited. Like, why? <laughs> why? It's amazing. I was just surprised given like how much tension existed in the scene when they did have to interact with the cop. Mm. You know, that was one of the most cringe parts of the movie where like she's like covering her her face with her hand. I really appreciate the, the time of day that the cop gave John Krasinski to go through every item in his trunk. Yeah. That was, that was a nice detail. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like, what's that? I don't have anything else to fucking do. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> you know, and it also just feels like, you know, because we know cops are gonna fuck with people, but it's just like it's interesting to see them on screen fucking with white people. Because <laughs> you just it's, I feel like there's a pass. Sounds like a kink. Right. Stoner movies in general. <laughs> he said like, he wasn't a masochist, but this way, right? <laughs> Like the ones, a lot of the ones we've watched, cops are like <laughs> in this thing to mess with people, to make people's lives worse. I just, I love, I love the comedy and just in general, just like they never, they never spare the rod when it comes to making cops look stupid. I love that. Like every, ever since like every cartoon, yeah, cops and dads, kids shows, <laughs> like cops and dads are always just like these bumbling idiots. And I think that shit is like really funny. Yeah, it's the opposite of sort of like the uh, the CSI, NCIS, law and order idea of like virtuous, you know, virtuous super officers. Cops. Like, yeah, like, like they're, they're here to get the bad cops. guys. It's like, no, they're, they're mostly assholes like this guy. And the guy who played the cop, who I didn't recognize, I went and looked on his IMDb, he mostly plays cops. He's got a cop face and he plays cops. Copraganda. He fills the uh, requirement. And... Uh, but it does bring up a thing that, that Jeff and I have talked about on this show before is that like a lot of times now with the increasing amounts of uh, legislation that's happening in cities and states across this country, we are potentially getting to a point where, you know, the fear of law enforcement becomes less of an issue in the stoner comedy genre. Right. Because there's less of that consequence in real life. Like we, you know, Jeff and I live in New York City and here, you know, we, there's a legal amount we can carry. And we also can't, you know, in principle, um, you know, cops can bust you for everything because they're assholes. But you can, I can smoke on the street right yeah. now. I can go outside and smoke on my stoop. The rules have changed in, in a way. So it's something to see a film like this where there's consequences for the actions and still feel like okay well then you know if this were a different kind of movie you know greg araki could have who's made like ultra violent stuff like doom generation could very easily have like had her die <laughs> or have a very bad interaction with cops and i think if he was trying to to make a certain kind of statement he would but it seems to me that he's making a different statement by basically this kind of shiftless stoner gets to continue to be a shiftless stoner sleeping during her community service you know <laughs> zoned out it's just like i don't yeah feel no like, difference was really made right i don't feel i thought they were going to fuck my head up and say the whole movie was a dream which i'm so glad they did not right do. yeah that's another one of the fake outs where, where you think oh wait is this going to be a weird dream she had no no all this shit happened and she's theoretically paying for her crime yeah 
Also, yeah, it's funny that you were mentioning what you were saying about we being more normalized because when she was like, she was just high and I'm like, why is she acting like that? Like, she doesn't even have any weed. She lost it all. Like, <laughs> she could be high around the cop. And it didn't occur to me like, oh, yeah, it's 2007. But yeah. they would have busted her for being high at all. Is any of this stuff that you're on in this trunk, man? And like, at that point, the plan wasn't completely sideways. Hmm. The plan was still salvageable. Yeah. And it's like, you couldn't have, like, he could have really done anything because like they, he didn't, there was no drugs in that car. She had they no drugs on her him. person. They called him for a break in and a break in. Yeah. Like that, that's how it works. So, you know, I, I feel like, again, they could have got there, but that would feel like one of the few scenes where there were real stakes in there. You feel like she could have been detained and she could have been kept from the hemp fest, which she ultimately was late for anyway. And <laughs> that's just that. The one really great virtuous thing, the ride to the Hempfest, ended up being as worthless as anything else. Yeah. Because it's like, great, this, this motorcycle hero comes in to save oh, the day. We're finally going to get on track. Nope. And sorry, man, Hempfest is over. Things just aren't going to go her way. Podcast Network.